to interrupt your business. I just had something to say to you and every single one of these people out here today. And that is... I'm back! Guess who's back? All and the Alfred. Two two, it's time for all Andy Alfred. And I love you guys, and welcome in to another edition of All Andy Alfred tonight. On this, the fourth of March, two thousand and eighteen, and I am your host. That's good, I guess, with tuna and toast. The one and only Mr. All, Andy Alford himself, Andy Alford, coming to you from the studios here in Toledo, Ohio, and you are listening to me on the plethora of platforms, whether it be on iTunes and Apple Music. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Whether it be on Google Podcasts, Podcast Now, Stitcher, and now on Spotify, yes, we are going places, folks. This is All Andy Alford tonight, and you can always be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at all Andy Alfred. It is at All Andy Alfred. Lots to get into tonight. Of course, we didn't do a show last week. I was still in a state of a little bit of a shock from the NHL trade deadline and how our jackets performed that I decided to take a week off and see how this team was going to perform. And you'll hear my opinion of that in just a few seconds. Also tonight, we're going to talk about the Walleye and their run this past weekend. And uh, how about the weekend that they had with with Dan Watson. I'll tell you that much more and so much more. Also, you have BGSU's men's basketball team hitting the hardcore. We're getting closer and closer. Next week is this is the final week of MAC play, regular season play before we get to tournament time. With tournament action starting starting next week. We'll talk about that as well. And you heard the opener Yes, it was a WWE promo bit from the Fighting With Our Family star, the Based on a True Story page, with the opener with the saying that I'm that she's back, because I'm back tonight. We'll talk a little WWE as well too tonight on the program. And like I said, you can always be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlfred. It is at AllAndyAlfred. So welcome aboard. We've got a lot to get into tonight, of course. And first and foremost, I want to begin with something I posted earlier today on my personal Facebook page. I wrote up a comment on a status on my Facebook page stating we're doing the podcast tonight. What do you want? What's the questions you have? What topics do you have on hand? And we're going to start right off the bat with a few of them. First and foremost, we're going to start with the grumpy old man himself, Mr. Chris Boychuk. And he wants to know your thoughts on the trades the BJ's made, the Blue Jackets, considering the, that when Duchesne played in Colorado, the Avs were terrible, got much better after he left for Ottawa. When the team took the nosedive upon arrival after being one goal away from the Stanley Cup final. And yes, I haven't been on the air with you guys since the NHL trade deadline. And how about Yarmo Kekalainen? Taking the chips, our poker chips, 
all of the money that we have saved up. Saving the farm. Putting the mortgage. And pushing it all in. Keeping the two big stacks of Panarin and Bobrovsky. He pushes everything in. Gets rid of Duclair. For Matt Duchesne. Ryan Dezingle. And Adam McQuaid. Three key pieces. Oh, and, and you can't count out Keith Kincaid as well, too. Four key pieces that he went out with and got rid of the farm, the trade picks, the draft picks. And if you want my personal opinion about this, it's twofold for me. One, the Matt Duchesne issue. I think Duchesne can get re-signed by Columbus, and that means that Panarin's gone. I think that's more more what it's telling us. Number two, Keith Kincaid signing with the Jackets for basically a couple draft picks tells me either Yarmo is betting that Bob is gone as well, or he's putting the pressure on Bob to sign at the end of the season. Because I think that Duchesne can be a signing piece for the Jackets. I really think he can. I think him and Dezingle can both stay with the Jackets. Kincaid, not so much. For me, this is this is a it's a it's a win and a loss. If I kind of figure, we are all in for this year. But as soon as July 1st hits, I'm panicking here, folks. I am freaking out. I am a kid on a on a, a bender of, of sugar and I know I'm going to hit the I'm going to hit the cra- I'm going to crash hard. Very, very hard, very, very soon. And that's what's scary about this. That is what's scary about this. And I said, I'm going to say this now. After everything that we've seen of this team before the trade deadline, you knew that Yarmo was going to go get pieces to help this team out. And he does. So the first team coming out of the trade deadline, the first team, Coming out the trade deadline for the Jackets to face is the Pittsburgh Penguins. I told myself after the trades were made, I'm going to give this three games. Three games. And see how this looks. Three games. Because you know game one, they're not going to gel. Because everybody's just trying to feel themselves out. You know, DeShane and DeZingle and all the new pieces that they've got have to learn the Tortorella method. Like every jacket has learned in the past. So I knew they weren't going to do as well against the Pittsburgh Penguins last Tuesday. 
and started a long homestand for the Jackets after the trade deadline. And Duchesne's trade came when they were in Ottawa. And, and here's the thing about that. Before I go into last week's games. For me, I knew something was going to happen on Tuesday night when I was watching the game, when I was watching the Leafs game on Wednesday. And they announced that Duchesne, Dezingo, and Mark Stone were healthy scratches for the night. Now, at the time, Tuesday night, the Jackets were in Montreal. They took the train Wednesday into Wednesday evening from Montreal to Ottawa. On the train was Jarmo Kekalainen. Now, typically, the general manager and Davidson was there, too. Technically, they don't travel with the team as much. They usually stay back in Columbus work on the day-to-day operations of the organization, unless something is big going to happen. When I saw the picture that Kekalainen took from the train of the whole team, and one of them, one, the one picture that stood out to me was Tortorella in the background, I knew, A, they've got something cooking, they've got something to work with, it's going to be interesting. I, 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 I didn't know what was going to happen until what until Thursday morning when I heard that Matthew Shane was a member of the CBJ. And when that happened, the song Celebration took over in my head because I said, okay, we've got the piece. We don't need anything else. Let's not bet the rest of the farm off. And what does Yarmo do? He bet the rest of the farm off with Ryan DeZingo, Keith Kincaid, Adam McQuaid. I don't... Th- th- there's only two people that I could see the jacket keeping, and that's Duchesne and DeZingo. DeZingo used to play at Ohio State. There's a connection there. He's He's got family that lives there. It's plain and simple to have him sign. Duchesne's a young guy. He's been in the league for a while for, for in the league for a while. I think you keep Duchesne. Now who do you get rid of? You get rid of Panarin because of the whole situation with the offseason and everything like that. And he is not worth the money when you have Matt Duchesne. I would take Matt Duchesne over Artemi Panarin. And now I'm gonna get criticized for that situation, but think about this for a second. Duchesne is a better better player on the ice as of late. He was struggling in Ottawa with a struggling Ottawa Senators team that couldn't build any more pieces around him because they traded away to the farm two years ago to get Duchesne to make the cup run. They were one goal away, as Chris mentioned in this piece, from the Stanley Cup final, and they couldn't get the job done. Eventually losing to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Ryan DeZingle is a young kid. He's a young, talented kid. I could see them signing him. And then the whole Kincaid situation. When the Jackets picked up Keith Kincaid, my, you know, my, my girlfriend, 
who we just celebrated our fifth anniversary, by the way, says to me, okay, that means Bob's going. I said, hold the home. Bob's not going. And they traded for Kincaid on Saturday. So they still had Sunday and Monday to move Bob. And they kept Bob and they kept Panarin. Now, when they kept those two core guys left, I said to myself, it's a lot of chips on the on the table right now. Lots of chips. Do we do we really want to play with this right now? And I said no. I said no. But you know, you play the game on the ice, not on paper and what you have in your roster. You let them play on the ice and you see what happens. And the first game out, like I said, was against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And you play the Penguins as the first game out from the break, from the trade deadline. And you could tell there was a lot of rust, a lot of rust on the team. After their good, solid win, excuse me, their solid win against San Jose on Saturday night. And Duchesne scoring his first as a jacket on Saturday was was. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. To get that off 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 your back was one key thing. But then you lose to Pittsburgh Tuesday night. Jake Ginzel getting the goal started for Pittsburgh, his 29th of the season, assisted from Crosby and Hornquist. And then McCann getting his 12th of the season. It was 2-0 after 20 minutes of play. I said, okay. We're a better second period, third period team. We could we could pretty much handle it. But Mulkin then buries his, buries his 20th of the season. It's 3-0 Pittsburgh before Oliver Bjorkstrand gets his 12th of the season and the Jackets cut the deficit to 2. It's now 3-1. to one. And then the Cam Show Cam Atkinson buries his 35th of the season. It's 3-2 Pittsburgh after 40 minutes of play on the power play. And the power play's gotten a lot better. You see, now, when they picked up, they got Martin St. Louis, I think that the power play has picked up in momentum, but they're also the defense is selling itself out a lot. Now, here, here, here's why I say that. McCann on a two-on-one with Simmons, buries it past Sergei Bobrovsky, and it's 4-2 in favor of Pittsburgh before Sidney Crosby then in the third period with an empty net with less than five seconds to go in the game. Scores his 27th of the season, and the Jackets fall to the Pittsburgh Penguins by a score of five to two, Pittsburgh out shooting Columbus in the game 27-23. The Jackets did lead in the faceoff department, sixty-nine percent to thirty-one percent. The Jackets one for three on the power play. Pittsburgh zero for two. Jackets out hitting the Penguins twenty-four to eleven in the game. Bobrovsky started the game. He stopped twenty-two of twenty-six. A save percentage of a point eight four six. It was Murray on the crease for the Penguins. Stopping 21 of 23. His save percentage of point one nine one three. Stopping 21 of 23. A point nine one three. So the Jackets fall to Pittsburgh. And, you know, that was a game that the Jackets kind of technically needed because Pittsburgh and Columbus had been battling for the playoff spot. A key playoff spot for this for this run for the Jackets. Very, very key. And they welcomed in 
in this long homestand next was the Philadelphia Flyers. Now the Flyers traded away Wade Simmons, one of their strong defensive players during the trade deadline. So I figured the Jackets would, you know, hold court a little bit. Again, Bobrovsky starting behind in the game for the Jackets. But it didn't start off good for the Jackets again. As Yakov Vorchak, the former Blue Jacket, gets his 18th of the season. And it was one nothing. Flyers, 3 minutes and 30 seconds into the first period before Oliver Bjorkstrand then with the 10.45 mark the first period. Ties the game at 1 on his, on, his, on a wrist shot. His 13th of the season from Boone Jenner and Andy Josh Anderson. His 13th assist of the season. It was 1-1. But then Samian getting his 7th of the season making a 2-1 game for Philadelphia after 20 minutes of play. In the second period, the Breadman himself comes up and delivers his 25th of the season from Zach Wierenski and Pierre-Luc Dubois. Game tied at two apiece at the 731 mark of the second period. And then here's the key piece, and I think, and I'll, I'll say this here in just a second, a key, the, I'll say this now actually, the key piece to the Jackets is how young that their defense core is. Peterson is one of the core kids on this team. That's a solid player. And Scott Harrington as well too. Getting his second goal of the season. Giving the Jackets a 3-2 lead. 4 minutes and 15 seconds into the third period. And Dezingle getting his first point as a Jacket. And Duchesne getting an assist in the game. It was 3-2 in favor of the Jackets over Simeon, then getting his eighth of the season with the 13-12 mark of the, of the third period, tying the game at three apiece before Seth freaking Jones buries it past Carter Hart in overtime, giving him the most goals in overtime by a Jackets player in franchise history with seven. He has seven goals in, fran- in fr- for the franchise in overtime, game-winning goals. Pernarin and him setting up that great two-on-one pass, and the Jackets win 4-3 to three in overtime. The Jackets out shooting Philadelphia in the game 40-31. to 31. On the faceoff dot, the Jackets 59% to Philadelphia's 40%. The Flyers were 1-2 for two on the power play, Columbus 0-3. Flyers out hitting the Jackets 23-22. Jack, it was Bobrovsky, like I said, stopping 28-31. His save percentage of .903. It was Brian Elliott, excuse me, not Carter Hart. Brian Elliott starting for the Flyers. He stopped 36-40. of His save percentage of .900. So the Jackets getting back onto the winning page last Thursday. And then we get to this weekend. Two key games for the Jackets. Western Canadian teams coming into Nationwide Arena, a back-to-back for the Jackets. And it started Saturday afternoon, a 1 o'clock puck drop against the Edmonton Oilers. Now, I was watching this game, folks. It was brutal. I have never seen... It looked to me... It looked to me... That this team did not even show up to the rink. It was absolutely utter embarrassing. It was utter disgrace to be wearing the Union Blue that day. 
And this is the third game. You figure that they've got it all figured out by the third game. You have bad breakdowns, bad plays. The Jackets just absolutely sucked. Absolutely sucked. And it it just pissed me off. It just pissed me off how bad we can against the Edmonton Oilers. I know Everett, you're going to say to me, well, the Oilers are pretty good. You know, next time he sees me, he's going to say, well, the Oilers are pretty good. You know, they got Connor McDavid and everything like that. And I am, I understand. You've got a really good team in Edmonton with one player. But to show no effort in front of a sellout crowd, 19,000 at Nationwide. On Arnold Classic Weekend, where a lot of tourists come in to see, oh, you know, we got the Classic happening over here. Let's go over to Nationwide and watch the Jackets perform. And they absolutely bombed. Getting shut out in the game. Cassian, his 10th of the season, was one nothing Edmonton after 20 minutes. Second period, it was all Edmonton. Carey, his second. Drysaddle, his 40th. Chainson, his 18th. It was 4-0, and that was the final. They chased Bobrovsky out of the net. He stopped 15-19. His save percentage on .789 in the game. Embarrassing. Jackets out shooting Edmonton in the game 30 to 24. The Oilers 53% to 47% on the faceoff dot. Both teams over on the power play. The Jackets did out hit the Oilers 27-15, but that was the most embarrassing game for the Jackets this season. The second, excuse me, the second most embarrassing game. First most embarrassing was against the, the Tampa Bay Lightning. That was Totally an embarrassment. I was embarrassed to be a Jackets fan on Saturday. And if I was John Tortorella, plain and simple, I would have called a Herb Brooks practice after the game. Take him to the red line and run sprints back and forth until we got it through their heads. They're a good team. And then afterwards, you know, Brad Larson would be sitting there blowing the whistle. Brooks would be yelling at him, or Toro would be yelling at him, and then he would hear, again! How poorly you performed, Duchesne and Dezingle, and this team is supposed to perform better. Again! Bob, you're supposed to be better than that. Corpy, you're doing all right, but you know, you need to step up to the plate again. And the defense needs to step up again. Panarin, you need to step up. Atkinson needs to step up. Dubois needs to step up. Foligno, you need to step up and show up and be a captain again. Dubitsky, Wenberg, when you want to play, when you do play, Bjorkstrand need to all step up again. 
He needs another one of those practices. Now, I seen one of those practices after the game a few years ago when Nick Fatusi was running the Toledo Walleye ship. And my friend, Dan Kotnick, sent me a photo, sent me the video of after their pathetic performance, losing 9-1 to to a game, he told the players to go back out on the ice and do the line sprint. And that's what Tortorella needs to do with these players. Again! Before one of those players comes up and stands up and says that they want to play for this team and play for this city. Because it certainly doesn't show that the Jackets are for real. After that third game. And then last night, you had the Winnipeg Jets. A team that is one of those teams that it's going to probably, possibly be in the Stanley Cup Final this year. In my opinion. Doesn't start off well. Niku getting his first goal of the season. His first as a, or as a Winnipeg Jets. It's one nothing Winnipeg. Before Nick Foligno buries the rebound shot. His 16th of the season. Tying it at 1 after 20 minutes of play. Panarin and Atkinson on the assist. So you can start the second period. And it was the Blake Wheeler show. Starting in the second period. His 14th of the season. A tip in shot. And, and here's the thing. Bobrovsky. I, I can't blame Bobrovsky for this loss. It was the defensive help. Because the offense was screening Bobrovsky the whole entire way. And Bob couldn't see any of the passes and any of the shots that were coming on net. So I'm not blaming Bob for this loss. I'm blaming the defense for this. And the offensive front. Because they need to protect and open up the slot for Bob to see. If he can't see, then he's going to let in the goals really easily. And then Seth Jones then in the second period. Late in the second, getting his... Ninth of the season, a absolute rocket of a shot, bearing it past Hullabuck. His ninth of the season, Panarin and Warinsky getting the assist. It's tied at two after 40 minutes of play. And then Blake Wheeler turned on the Jets. Wheeler having a four-goal game, a natural hat-trick in the third period alone. Is 15th, 16th, and 17th of the season. An empty netter. And again, I'm going to say this again. The first one was a tip-in shot in the third period. And it was 3-2 Winnipeg. And then all of a sudden, like I said, they need better defensive help in this team. This team needs it. They sell out for the play. And it turns out to be a 2-on-1 on on the opposite end. And Winnipeg's break wheeler buries it past... Buries it past Sergei Bobrovsky. It's 4-2 Winnipeg. And then Wheeler getting his 17th of the season on an empty net. And the Jackets fall to the Jets by a score of 5-2. Jackets outshot in the game 42. Out shooting Winnipeg in the game 42-26. They led in the faceoff dot 56 to 44%. They were 1 for 4 on the power play. Winnipeg 0 for 3. 11 minutes in penalties for the Jackets. 23 minutes in penalties for Winnipeg. Winnipeg out hitting the Jackets. 20 to 19. Connor Hellebuck stopping 40 of 42. 
His save percentage of .952. Bobrovsky stopping 21 of 25. His save percentage of a .840. Bob needs to step up to the plate. I'm not surprised if, if Torrell will start Kincaid on Tuesday with them going to New Jersey. And that we'll give you the schedule here in just a second. I would not be surprised if he starts Kincaid in this game because of the fact that Kincaid is cold and he's going back to Jersey after the trade. I wouldn't be surprised if he does that. But I wouldn't be surprised if he starts Cor- Corpusalo in the game. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. The Jackets have New Jersey tomorrow night. And then they go to Pittsburgh on Thursday on national television again to play the Pittsburgh Penguins before returning home Saturday night to play those same Penguins yet again. And then, so get this, Saturday they have Pittsburgh. And then Monday they're in the island to take on the Islanders at home Tuesday to play the Boston Bruins before they get two days off. That is three games in four days. This team needs to start gelling. And it starts needs to start gelling now. Other games that happened yesterday in the NHL. How about the, the, the conclusion of the game between the Washington Capitals and the New York Rangers? Absolutely amazing. And for the kid to throw his stick like that and and be that oh it killed me. As the as Washington gets the win three to two over the New York Rangers, the Flyers getting a four one win over the Islanders. Anaheim a winner two to one over the Colorado Avalanche. Ottawa gets the win over Florida three to two. The Preds get the three two win over the Minnesota Wild. It was the Goegas Golden Knights a three nothing shutout win over the Vancouver Canucks and the San Jose Sharks a five two win over the Chicago Blackhawks. Games on the docket tonight in the NHL this Monday the fourth of March. It is Calgary taking on Toronto. That's a 9 o'clock puck drop at Pegram Saddle Dome. And also happening tonight at 7 o'clock, it will be the Buffalo Sabres hosting those Edmonton Oilers. Tomorrow, besides the Jackets and Devils game, here's the slate of games. It will be a possible preview of the Stanley Cup final as the Edmonton, as the, um, excuse me, as the Winnipeg Jets take on the Tampa Bay Lightning. 7.30 puck drop for that one. Carolina is in Boston to take on the Bruins. That is a big game. We'll talk about that here in just a second. Ottawa is in New York to take on the Islanders. Pittsburgh hosting the Panthers. Minnesota is in Nashville to take on the Predators. It will also be the Rangers are in Dallas to take on the Stars. Colorado hosts the Detroit Red Wings. Dallas, uh, excuse me, Montreal is in L.A. to take on the Kings. And the Coyotes take on the Anaheim Ducks. That game, a 9 o'clock puck drop for that one. And looking at the standings going into tonight's play, this is what it looks like. So looking at the standings, like I said, going into tonight's play, of course. In the Atlantic Division, Tampa Bay is in front, and they're leading in all the NHL with a record of 50-12-4 with 104 points. Boston's in second place at 39-17-9 with 87 points. The Maple Leafs are 40-21-4 with 84 points. Metropolitan standings. Look like this. Okay, folks. We need to take a breath. In first place are the Washington Capitals at 38 and 21 and 7 with 83 points. The Islanders 37, 21, and 7 with 81 points. 
Carolina is 36, 23, and 6 with 76 points. Wildcard standings looks like this. First wildcard position belongs to the Pittsburgh Penguins at 34, 22, 9, and 9 with 77 points. Montreal is in second in the second wildcard position with 35, 24, and 7 with 77 points. On the outside looking in are the Jackets at 36, 26, and 3 with 75 points. The Flyers are catching up to us, folks. They're 32, 26, and 8 with 72 points. Buffalo is 30, 27, and 8 with 68 points. Florida is 28, 26, and 11 with 67 points. And you also can't count out the Rangers. They're 27, 27, and 11 with 65 points. The bottom three teams look like this. The Devils are 23, 33, and 8 with 58 points. The Detroit Red Wings are 23, 33, and 9 with 55 points. And it's sad to see the Red Wings in this stat, bad, bad state of this season. With only 55 points, but less than 20 games to go in the regular season. Ottawa is 20 and worse is the worst team in the NHL at 23, 38, and 5 with 51 points. The Western Conference looks like this. Winnipeg is in first place at 39, 22, and 4 with 82 points. The Predators are 38, 25, and 5 with 81 points. St. Louis is 34, 25, and 6 with 74 points. Pacific Division looks like this. The best team in the Western Conference are the Calgary Flames at 41, 17, and 7 with 89 points. San Jose is 39, 19, and 8 with 86 points. And the Vegas Golden Knights are 36, 26, and 5 with 77 points. The wild card race looks like this. Dallas still holding the number one spot at 33, 27, and 5 with 71 points. Minnesota is 32, 27, and 7 with 71 points. How about this? The Arizona Coyotes are 32-28-5 with 69 points. Still in the wild card race. Colorado is 28-26-12 with 68 points. Edmonton 28-30-7 with 63 points. Chicago is 27-30-9 with 63 points. The Vancouver Canucks are 27-30-9 with 63 points as well. The Anaheim Ducks are 25-32-9 with 59 points. And the LA Kings are 24, 33, and 8 with 56 points. So Ottawa still is the worst team in all of the National Hockey League. Looking at some of the news and notes around the NHL, looks like this. Uh, uh, the three stars of the game, three stars look like this. The number one star goes to, for this week goes to Mark Andre Fleury, Blake Wheeler, the number two star, and the number three star this week is Sydney. Crosby, but the news today is not great in the NHL as we have lost a legend in the NHL. The Red Wing icon and the part of the old grind line that it was back in the day. Mr. Ted Lindsay has passed away at the age of 93. Ted Lindsay, a Hall of Famer, four time Stanley Cup champion with the Detroit Red Wings, uh, known as Terrible Ted. Won the Art Ross Trophy in 1950. It's the top scorer in the NHL. Played in 11 consecutive game NHL All-Star games from 1947 to 1957. Was selected on the NHL's first All-Star team eight times. Um, yeah, it, uh, he was named in the NHL Hall of Fame, the National Hockey, Hockey Hall of Fame in 1966. And it was his number was retired by the Red Wings in 91. Number seven will never be worn again. And the wing wheel, he played 1,068 games in the NHL from 1944-45 to 1964-65, coming out with 
coming out four years retirement in 1964 and playing three seasons with the Blackhawks and one final season with the Red Wings. He was one of the best, folks. Absolutely one of the best. Ted Lindsay is gone from us. A solid player, a solid, solid player. And um, he contributed 379 goals with both the Red Wings and Blackhawks. He has had 472 assists and 1,808 penalty minutes. And he was the first, was the first Art Ross Trophy winner in 1950. And um, yeah, Ted Lindsay. Member of the production line, dead at the age of 93. Our thoughts and prayers are with the Lindsay family in their time. If you are listening to All Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Now, however you're listening to me, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning into the program. And now let's continue to hit the ice. And let's talk about the premier double-A hockey program, and that is the ECHL. So the Walleye having a great week last week, getting two big wins in Kansas City the previous week. And now they set up a big homestand this past weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But before we get to that, we had a little bit of an issue with the Walleye last week, of course. As they went in to Kalamazoo last week. And they took on the K-Wings. And I tell you folks. I tell you. It was not that great of a game. Walleye losing in overtime. Not only losing the game. But they lose their coach in the game. It was... Scoring looks like this. It opened up the scoring with Chris McDonald getting his getting a goal in the first period at the 843 mark of the first period from, from Kunis and Blaney. It's one nothing Kalamazoo. Boychek then scoring for the walleye, his fifth of the season, tying the game at one apiece. Then Kalamazoo's Sadler, his fourth of the season. Making a 2-1 game in favor of the K-Wings before Ham- Trevor Hamilton getting his fourth of the season. And tying the game at two apiece at the 8.56 mark of the third period before Collins in overtime beating Caden Fulcher. And the K-Wings get a 3-2 win at K-Wings Stadium on sa- on Saturday Excuse me. On Wednesday evening, the Walleye out shooting Kalamazoo in the game, forty-one to twenty-eight. The Walleye one for four on the power play. Kalamazoo two for four on the power play. But here is the big thing: the Walleye and Dan Watson got issued a penalty for of abuse of an official. He was yelling and pointing and. Pushing the official, he was game, given a game misconduct after the game for an abusive official of a code 39.5 of the rule book in the ECHL rule book. You can't do that. 
Can't do that, Dan. By the way, Fulcher stopping 38 of 35 in the game. Cavella stopping 39 of 41. So I, I had to look this up in the ECHL rule book. And for me, the rule book looks like this. It looks like this, folks. 39.5. The abuse of official. Looks like this. So 39.5 in the rule book. Had to look this up. It looks like this. It is a, quote, a minor penalty for unsportsmanlike conduct plus a game misconduct shall be opposed on a player or coach who throws his stick or any therefore part or any other piece of equipment or object outside the playing area in protest of official's decision. He threw something. I thought it was 39.2. When a player or coach uses obscene, profane, and abusive language or gesture directed at any on or off-vice official or uses any names, uses the name of any official accompanied with any vulgarity remarks or after already being assessed a bench minor penalty, this coach or non-player is assessed a game misconduct and the situation is reported to the commissioner for further action. That's what happened on Wednesday night. With the walleye. The wall losing the game against Kalamazoo. Watson going nuts on the bench. And didn't help him at all. Didn't help him at all. Come Friday. Friday the walleye come back home. He gets suspended for one game. Hits with the fine. And the walleye get ready to play the Wheeling Nailers. Big game for the Fish. They had to keep pace with the Kalamazoo, not Kalamazoo, but also with the Cincinnati Cyclones. My apologies to Everett. And the Fish come up fried in the game. As Wheeling gets the goal, 7 minutes and 58 seconds in the first in, first period. Well, Winston Daychief, his 10th of the season, it's one nothing in favor of the, of the Nailers. Before A.J. Jenks starting in the second period, getting the scoring off for the Fish, his 15th of the season. But for Spinozzi, his 15th of the season for the Nailers. And then Winston Daychief, again, his 11th of the season. It was 3-0 Nailers before Dylan Sadaway, his 15th of the season, making a 3-2 game. And then Winston Daychief getting the hat trick in the game, his 12th of the season, making it 4-2 in favor of the Nailers. As he gets the empty net goal. And then Spinozzi again his 16th of the season. Andy Dilmore on the coaching helm for the game. Throwing the empty net off of Pat Nagel. Nagel loses the game. He stops 28 of 31 as the walleye lose to the Nailers 5-2. Toledo out shooting. Wheeling in the game 35-33. Wheeling 2 for 7 on the power play. Toledo 1 for 5. Ruby gets the win. He's stopping 33 of 35. And speaking of the Cincinnati Cyclones, they went and pounded the Indy Fuel by a score of 8-2, to helping, not helping out the walleye's chances to get back into the hunt. It was Johnson, his 8th of the season, before Voss Glotov, his 14th of the season, and then Powell, his 
his 21st of the season, and after 20 minutes of play, Cincinnati was up 3 to nothing before Indy cuts the deficit down to 1 for Josh Shala and Hudson, his 6th of the season, for Patrick Aquin getting his 22nd of the season, and Brady Vale, his 21st of the season, making it a 5-2 game, and Aquin again in the 3rd, getting his 23rd of the season, and Alex Wybin, his 20th, making it 7-2, and then Johnson started the scoring and finishes the scoring for the for the Cyclones, his 7th of the season, as the Cyclones beat out the Indy Fuel by a score of 8-2. Indy out shooting the Fuel by a score of 32-15. Cincinnati 4-for-7 on the power play. Indianapolis 1-for-5. Feel bad for the Indianapolis goaltender. It was Tompkins went all the way, stopping 24 of 32, allowing eight in the game. Michael Hauser stopping 13 of 15 in the game. Good-sized crowd on hand of 7,909 at U.S. Bank Arena. So they get to Saturday's action for both Cincinnati and Toledo. Cincinnati made the truck too wheeling to take on the Nailers, and they lose in West Banco Arena by a score of 3-2. Winston Daychief continuing his scoring streak, getting his 13th of the season before Jesse Schultz, his 18th of the season, and it was 1-1 after 20 minutes of play. It was Debrinkin, his second goal of the season at the 13-38 mark of the second period, and it was 2-1 in favor of the Cyclones before Pacello, his fourth of the season for the Nailers, tying it at two apiece at the 13-24 mark of the third period. But then Brady Vale beating the goaltender, Michael O'Connor, his 22nd of the season, and Cincinnati gets the win in Wheeling by a score. Of three to two, Michael Hauser stopping twenty three of twenty five in the game. Cincinnati out shooting Wheeling in the game thirty two to twenty five. Cincinnati two for four on the power play. Wheeling oh for one. So the Walleye needed to win a big game, and did they come out strong on Saturday? We're not talking one goal. We're not talking a two goal. We're talking eleven. That's right. I set 11 goals, all scored on the walleye, and the walleye came out pounding the Fort Wayne Comets by a score of 11 to nothing on Saturday night. They had six goals in the second period alone. I'm not going to go through all of them, but some of the key key scores were this. It was Spisa, his 10th, Sadaway his 16th, Wolf is 17th. I'm not going to go through all the scoring because everybody touched the lamp. But it was Pat Nagel shutting out his former team, the Fort Wayne Comets, stopping 34 of 34 in the game. Levine giving up 8 of those 11 goals, stopping 18 of 26, only playing 2 periods of the game. The Walleye out shooting Fort Wayne in the game 39 to 34. Toledo 1 for 5 on the power play. Fort Wayne 0 for 5. So the, so the Walleye getting a big win on, on Saturday night. And that carry over into Sunday where the where the um, Kalamazoo Wings took on the Cincinnati Cyclones. And getting the win at K-Wings Stadium were those K-Wings over Everett Fitzhughes. 
Cincinnati Cyclones. But the Cyclones getting out to an early one nothing lead from Brady Vale, his 23rd of the season. Canellis getting his ninth of the season at in the second period. His ninth of the season. No scoring was done in the first, by the way. My apologies to that. Kalamazoo just pounding the K-Wing, pounding the Cyclones in the second period. Like I said, Canellis is ninth. McDonald his McDonald in the third period, his eighth of the season. Canellis his second of the game, his tenth of the season. Then Sadler his sixth, making it a 4-1 game in favor of the Cyclones before Powell getting his 22nd of the season from Jesse Schultz and Eric Canodal. And that was all the scoring that Cincinnati could do. It was the K-Wings a winner 4-2. Over the Cyclones, Cincinnati out shooting Kalamazoo 40 to 23 in the game. They led in the power play department. Stop shooting, getting converting two of five on the power play. Kalamazoo one for four. It was Michael Hauser stopping 19 of 23, four goals he gave up. It was Kervicks is stopping 38 of 40, allowing two goals in the game. So the wall I needed a game. And by the way, with a Cincinnati win and an Indy loss. Cincinnati would have clinched the clinched the clinch a playoff spot. However, they lost to Kalamazoo. So, what could Toledo do against Indianapolis on Sunday afternoon at the Huntington Center? Well, giving Caden Fulcher his first ever shutout as a professional goaltender, as the Walleye get a five nothing win over the Indy Fuel, and this game got chippy late, folks. Had to break out the chip dip for that one, but the walleye starting it out with Shane Burschback, his 18th of the season at the 120 mark of the first period, and that was what it was after 20 minutes of play. Dylan Saddleway getting his second of the season, his eight, second goal of the night, second goal for the walleye of the night, excuse me, his 18th of the season before A.J. Jenks getting his 17th of the season, and Tyler Hamilton his fifth of the season. It was 4 nothing fish after 40 minutes of play. Jenks getting his second goal, of the, second goal of the night, his 18th of the season. And it was 5-0 walleye before the gloves and the fighting broke out late in the third period. And it was a chippy one, folks. As Collins comes off the bench, came off the bench, breaking up two, excuse me, two Cyclones jumping off the bench and fighting in the game after the play broke down with a minute 58 to go in the third period. As it was Brooks and Collins both jumping off, the, leaving the players' bench and fighting. And they were escorted out of the game. Collins getting a game misconduct for leaving the bench. He also got a game misconduct for being the aggressor. Michael Crawford getting a misconduct penalty. His 39.4 for a touching official. And it was it was chippy, folks. But Caden Fulcher getting his first ever professional shutout, stopping 27 of 27 in the game. DeFeline stopping 32 of 37, his giving up five goals. The walleye outshot Indianapolis 37 to 27. They were two for six on the power play. Indy over two. So a bad weekend for the state of Indiana in the state of Ohio. I'll tell you that much for both Indy and Kalamazoo. But other games happened yesterday in the ECHL. Florida was a winner 4-1 over the Jacksonville Icemen. Wheeling gets a 3-2 win over the Fort Wayne Comets. Wooster a 4-2 win over the Anirondack Thunder. Tulsa a 3-1 win over Kansas City. Allen was a winner 3-1 over the Rapid City Rush. So games that go into this week, of course, 
Wednesday night. The Walleye head into Prampton to take on the Beast. That puck drop at 7.15. Puck drop for that game. Cincinnati's next game will be not until Friday night. As they head into Indianapolis to take on the Fuel. The Walleye will not play after Wednesday night's game until Saturday night. As they tread into Fort Wayne for retribution hopefully for the Comets. 7.30 puck drop at the Allen County War at the Allen County War Memorial. While Cincinnati will then be traveling, then on the road still on to get to Sunday's game as they travel to Kansas City to take on the Mavericks. A 405 puck drop on Sunday evening. So looking at the standings going into tonight's play. Into this week's play, it looks like this. Cincinnati still holding front in the Central Division with a record of 40-10-4 and and 3 with 87 points, leading all of the East Coast Hockey League. Can't believe I said that. Toledo is in second place in the Central Division at 33-15-5-3 with 74 points. Kalamazoo 30-24-1-2 with 63 points. Fort Wayne is 26-23-6 with 61 points. Wheeling is in fifth place at 27-24-6-1 with 61 points. In Indianapolis is 27-27-2-1 with 57 points. The Mountain Division looks like this. Tulsa is in first place at 34-24-2 with 74 points. Idaho 34-22-2 with 72 points. Utah is 32-18-4-3 with 71 points. Kansas City is 29-23-3-1 with 62 points. Wichita 22-27-6-3 with 53 points. Rapid City is 22, 29, 5, and 3 with 52 points. And the Allen Americans are 21, 34, 4, and 2 with 48 points. In the Eastern Conference, Newfoundland still holding top at 36, 16, 4, and 0 with 76 points. Adirondacks right there at 31, 25, and 2 with 69 points. Evan Picknick's crew's got a really good team up there. Uh, I'll give you credit on that one. Manchester is 30, 25, 2, and 2 with 64 points. Maine is 31, 25, 1, and 1 with 64 points. Brampton, who the Walleye will face, is 28, 23, 5, and 1 with 62 points. Wooster is 25, 22, 5, and 4 with 59 points. And the Reading Orioles are 25, 23, 4, and 5 with 59 points. So the North Division is pretty much over the 500 mark this season. So it's good to see that. In the South Division right now, it's pathetic to see this. The Florida Everblades are 39-15-5-0 with 83 points. They're playing easy chump teams. That's what it is. Orlando is 31-20-4 with 66 points. Jacksonville is 30-25-2-2 with 64 points. South Carolina 26-27-5-0 with 57 points. Yes, South Carolina could be making the playoffs and be under 500. Atlanta 24-23-7-1 with 56 points. Norfolk is 23-28-4-3 with 53 points. And Greenville is 21-34-3-2 with 47 points. So that is your wrap around the ECHL as you are listening to All Andy Offer tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcasts Now, however you're listening to me, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning in. And now let's hit the hard court and talk a little bit about some NCAA basketball and especially about our Bowling Green State University Falcons. So the Falcons are heading into this last week of the regular season. Most of the college basketball teams are headed into the final week of the regular season before next week's big tournament games. A lot of teams going into tournament play starting this week. And 
it's going to be interesting to see where Bowling Green finishes up. They clinched the uh, they clinched the playoff spot the other night. Last week before we we before we decided not to do a show, they clinched the spot last week. And recapping last week's games, looks like this starting on the twenty sixth of February. Bowling Green loses to Miami of Ohio by a score of 82 to 69 in the hard court for BG. It was, of course, DeMario Wiggins getting 14.6 for 12 from field goal range, 2 for 3 for the three throw stripes. He also had 11 rebounds in the game. It was Michael Lancer with four assists. Looking at the box score in this game, Wiggins, like I said, 29 minutes with 14 points, 11 rebounds. Dylan Fry, 13 points, 33 minutes played, 3 for 7 for 3 goal, 3 point range. He had 2 rebounds in the game. The bench really didn't help Bowling Green as much. Adrian Lillard only having 3 points, 0 for 3 from field goal range, 0 for 2 from 3 point range. Bowling Green struggling at the Stroh Center for that game, and it was Sombre, 20 points, 6 for 18 from field goal, 4 for 11 from 3 point mark. As Bowling Green loses to Miami of Ohio, 82-69. They then played Kent State on Friday, March the 1st, on our um, me and my girlfriend's anniversary day, as they cruised to a 77-72 win. And it was Justin Turner with 18 points, leading the Falcons in all points, with 6-for-9 from field goal range, 3-for-5 from free th- from three-throw line. Namario Riggins having eight, rib- re- 8 rebounds in the game. Antonio Williams for Kent State had 10 rebounds in the game. He also had 6 assists. Michael Lancer, 4 assists in the game. It was Jalen Walker with 26 points for Kent State in the game. Looking at the box score, in the game for Bowling Green Wiggins, like I said, 26 minutes played, 13 points, 4 for 6 for field goal range. It was Justin Turner, 3 for 4 from 3-point range. He had 18 points, 6 for 9 for field goal range. The bench helped out with Poland, 9 points, 3 for 7 for field goal range, but he was 0 for 2 on at the 3-point arc. So Bowling Green getting the 77-72 win on Friday night. So they will now play this upcoming Tuesday, the 5th, against the Akron Zips. 7 o'clock tip in Akron. Bowling Green 20-9 and overall. Toledo will have a home game against Western Michigan. Western Michigan 8-21 of this season. Toledo 23-6, and so that should be a win. The final game of the regular season looks like this. It will be Friday night. All teams will be in action. Bowling Green travels to Buffalo. 6 o'clock tip-off on ESPNU. That is a huge game for BG, and it could basically determine the MAC East when it comes to it. Bowling Green with their win on a win and a Buffalo loss is upcoming Tuesday. Buffalo will have Ohio at Ohio. Seven o'clock tip for that one. If Buffalo loses at Ohio and Bowling Green beats Akron, sets up Friday's game to be a game against a game. For the MAC East Championship, Buffalo 14 and 2 overall in conference play, 26 and 3 overall. Bowling Green 12 and 4 in conference play, 20 and 9 overall. They're two games out of first place. Kent State 9 and 7, five games out of first place, 29 overall. They're not going to catch anything. So it's between Bowling Green and B and Buffalo for the MAC East Championship. 
Mac West is pretty much wrapped up. The uh, Toledo Rockets are 11 and five overall, 26, 23 and six overall in conference play. 11 and five in conference play. Excuse me, 23 and six overall. Central Michigan nine and seven, two games out of the Mac West. Central Michigan is 20 and nine overall. So, looking at it this way. In my opinion, I'm going to post this question on 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 Twitter as well too. Do you think that Bowling Green has a legitimate chance to be one of the first four teams, one of the first four, for the NCAA tournament? Joe Lenardi came out with his bracket the other night and had Bowling Green as one of the six, fifteen or sixteen seeds out of the tournament. Can you see Bowling Green be one of those teams? I could possibly say yes. Because of their strength of schedule. You look at Bowling Green's schedule. From this past season. You look at all their games. Starts back in November. They lose to St. John's by 4. They lose to VCU by 11. They lose to Drexel by 10. In December... In December, they lose to Hartford by three. And then in conference play, they just dominate conference play. Can they make the NCAA tournament? You know, it's hard to say. But they have a legitimate chance. When you only lose by four to four to St. John's, and then you also lose by 11 to VCU, that says a lot. I think Bowling Green's got a legitimate chance to be in the tournament. We'll see. We'll see. Speaking of hardcore, let's talk a little bit about the NCAA as a whole. Top 25 looks like this. You know, and Duke has been struggling as of late. I've been watching a lot of basketball. And I know my friend AJ Laporta, who probably doesn't listen to this podcast, doesn't really care as much. Um, his, his Bulldogs of Gonzaga look really good. They're first overall. Virginia is second. But they're always a one of those flake teams that can go in and out. Carolina is three. Duke is four. They're down one. Tennessee is five. Kentucky is six. Michigan is seven. Texas Tech is eight. Michigan State is nine. LSU is ten. Purdue is 11, Houston is 12, Kansas is 13th, Florida State 14, Virginia Tech is 15, Marquette is 16, Nevada is 17, Kansas State 18, Buffalo is 19th, 20th is Cincinnati, 21st is Wisconsin, Wolford is 22nd, Villanova is 23rd, 24th is Maryland, and UCF is 25th in the rankings. And so... We'll see what happens with that. We're in the final week of the regular season. We'll see. We've got a big matchup in the Big Ten this upcoming Saturday. It's a big rivalry game as Michigan travels to East Lansing to take on Michigan State. And there's a three-way battle right now for the top spot in the Big Ten to win the Big Ten overall this season in the back in the back Big Ten tournament to get the number one seed overall. Purdue is holding spot right now at 15-3. Both wins over Michigan and Michigan State. 
Michigan is second, half game out, 15 and 4 overall. Michigan State is 14 and 4 over over in conference play. Both teams that's conference play. Overall, Purdue is 22 and 7. Michigan is 26 and 4. Michigan State is 23 and 6. So looking at the schedules going forward, Michigan State has Nebraska tomorrow night at Breslin Center. Purdue has Minnesota at Minnesota. Now Michigan plays not again until Saturday against Michigan State. 8 o'clock tip on ESPN. If you're not doing anything, if you're not doing the guy activity downtown, this is a game to watch for and a game that could set up what could be a possible preview of a semifinal game in the NCAA tournament. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. We'll see what happens. As you're listening to All Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network. That's either on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Now. However you're listening to me, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning in. And now let's hit the mat. Talk a little pro wrestling because they get a special they get a special message from a certain fan of mine on this program. So I got a Facebook message, and a lot of you know that I, I I follow WWE wrestling, and it's one of my one of my passions. That I like to talk about a little bit, and um, I like I like watching it live. I like seeing what happens. I like the storyline and stuff like that. I got a Facebook message this evening, of uh, this afternoon, during the whole ask me a question for the podcast. Got a question from a good friend of mine who I went to high school with. His name is Brandon Wright. And he wrote me this question, plain and simple. How will WWE push Kofi, Kofi Kingston in the title picture? And will we see Shane versus The Miz? So, let's start with this first and foremost. I want to say to this, I want to congratulate Roman Reigns for being in remission from his leukemia battle. It's good to hear that. Um... Our thoughts and prayers are still with him, with him bat- finishing up this the, the leukemia process and being in remission and everything like that. It's tremendous to see. Number two, I like the fact that the WWE is introducing the women's tag team division. I thought that they got it right with Sasha and Bayley being the WWE women's tag team division sit up, set up with that. But that also hurts the Raw Women's Championship, which is supposed to be Becky Lynch versus Ronda Rousey. Now, this whole persona of Ronda Rousey, uh, Becky Lynch being hurt and being pushed aside and being arrested and all this situation, it's getting sickening. A lot of us want to see this match happen. Everybody wants to see this happen. And it's going to be one of the best main events in the history of WrestleMania. To see Ronda Rousey battle Becky Lynch. And how the WWE is pushing this aside to do, no, 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 we shouldn't have that. You know, and Vince doesn't want to have that. Blah, 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 blah. Look. WWE... Needs Ronda Rousey. 
Ronda Rousey needs WWE. Because we, we haven't heard anything about her going back to UFC. We hear Brock Lesnar's going back to UFC. And he needs to stay at UFC. They need to dump his ass like it's nothing. Because the fact that... The fact that he doesn't do any Raws. If he does a Raw, he's just out there with Paul Heyman. He doesn't wrestle on Raw anymore. He only wrestles on pay-per-view because that's what he's getting paid to do. Dump his ass. If I was Vince, don't renegotiate the contract. Dump his ass. Plain and simple. Get rid of him. Get rid of him. We need to get rid of him. Plain and simple. So now you ask me about the Kofi Kingston picture, Brandon. I think that would be a great setup for WrestleMania for him. Daniel Bryan versus Kofi Kingston is a true heel versus face situation. And this is when I think if Kofi does win the title, which I doubt he will, because he's a mid-card guy, he'll always be a mid-card guy. But the amount of push that he's been getting by both the WWE Universe and WWE Creative, it's telling me that maybe it is time to freshen up the card a little bit. And I'm sick and tired of this whole Daniel Bryan is a you know, health nut kind of a situation. I like the old Daniel Bryan a lot better than the new Daniel Bryan. But I think Kofi, with the title picture, I could see it. I could see it more. I could see it more and more with him at WrestleMania versus Daniel Bryan, the 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 new Daniel Bryan, all eco friendly versus Pancake Power and the Power of Positivity. I think that's more more a likelihood. More of a likelihood. Okay. Now, the final question is asked is Shane versus Miz. I think we're going to see that at WrestleMania. Because I think that they're going to lose the, they're going to lose their title shot at Fastlane and the Miz is probably going to attack Shane. And that's going to set up Miz versus Shane at WrestleMania. And I could see that happening more more or less. You know, Cena's not going to do WrestleMania this year. That's what we're hearing. Um, Taker, we haven't heard yet if he's going to wrestle. Um, I like the lineup for the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. I want to see what, I would like to see this Randy Orton, AJ Styles battle. You know, Orton is a heel now, or a baby face as I call it, and AJ Styles is more of a face. I like to see these two go at it. I like to see it go at it. I want to hear your opinion about it as well too. And uh, you can always be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at all Andy Elford. It is at all Andy Elford. So there's my WWE take. And you're listening to all Andy Elford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Podcasts Now. However you're listening to me, wherever you're listening to me, thank you for tuning in. And uh, let's hit to the end of our program tonight, and it'll be time for Andy Rants. So it's time for Andy Rants. And, of course, First and foremost, like I always say, I want to thank you for tuning into the program tonight and being a part of the broadcast this evening. And if you haven't hit the subscribe button yet to this podcast, what are you doing? Hit the subscribe button. Share the show with everybody. 
want to get this momentum and get the positive train going much, much more. So, uh, sign for Andy Rant. It's going to be a three-part tonight, of course. And uh, some housekeeping news to pass along to you. We are in the process right now of the second, the last week of March to do the MLB preview show with yours truly, Lucas Sigerson, and the one and only Nick the Money Man DeVera. We are in the process of doing that as we speak. We're trying to get out some dates. We're trying to match up some schedules, line it up and everything like that. We'll let you know when we're going to be doing this podcast. We might be doing a studio audience with this. We might. and um, uh, But it will be definitely a Facebook Live show for you guys. Um, so uh, more details to come as we get more closer to the show. Also want to pass this along to we are looking forward to doing our show the fa- the last week of March in Columbus. The Jackets will be playing the Islanders. We will be down there for that game. Um, looking forward to doing the podcast down in Columbus. And we also are planning a special feature on that show. Um, can't give you much details about it. Um, but we are talking about we're talking with a certain group of individuals that love talking about the jackets. I'm hoping that we can get this all situated, that we can be on the program with them, and um, hopefully, hopefully we can do it. Um, I'm in the process of talking with those gentlemen now, uh, setting up something that either to do it Tuesday night after the game or Wednesday morning in downtown Columbus. So we'll see what happens with that. So uh, those are some housekeeping news and notes. And, of course, coming up next week, we will have the entry forms ready and ready to go out for the NCAA AAA, the NCAA all Andy Elford Bracket Challenge. We'll be back again this upcoming year. And if you don't know what the rules are, stick tuned to next week. Can't wait to pass them along to you. So now it's time for the full Andy rants for you. And that was part one. Part two is this. This past Friday night, I celebrated my fifth anniversary with my girlfriend, Amanda. I know everybody's asking, when are you going to put a ring on it? Time will tell, folks. But an op- time will tell. And uh, I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with her when it comes, when when the time is right. Um, and the time is becoming right, as of course. But uh, had the opportunity to go to Detroit on Friday night and see a beautiful concert, an absolutely amazing concert. Um, if you haven't gotten the opportunity, go see Michael Bublé in concert. Absolutely worth it to go see this this gentleman. Puts on a hell of a show, a two-and-a-half-hour performance, no opening act, just him. Has a beautiful orchestra. I was dancing in the seats. I was listening. I was crying. I was enjoying the show. It's absolutely amazing. If you haven't get a chance, go on Ticketmaster.com and find where Michael's playing in your local area. Totally, totally worth it. He is a, a true magician as a musician and a beautiful singer. To boot, I can't really, can't really say anything about it. It was fantastic. Had a great weekend. With my girlfriend, we went to Detroit, went to see the show. We stayed at Greek Town. The hospitality at Greek Town was absolutely fantastic. Came home Saturday night. Jackets absolutely sucked. Saturday was as a day was a whole was good. Had a good time with some friends, of course, 
and um, looking forward to many more years to come with my beautiful honey. Love you, baby cakes. All right, so now it's time for the real Andy rants. The third part. The trade deadline is the worst thing to happen for the Blue Jackets in their entire life. In my opinion, I feel like this team is not going to gel in time enough time to make the playoffs. That's me being personal for for you guys. But they could definitely change. It could definitely change over time. But for me, the Jackets need to get back onto the winning page. And this week is a tall tale sign with games against New Jersey, two against Pittsburgh, and then they have the game Monday at home against the Islanders and then Tuesday at home against the Boston Bruins. Those four or five games will tell whether or not this Jacket team is for real. If they are, they are. If they're not, then Yarmo did a horrible job at the trade deadline. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. But that's going to wrap it up for all Andy Alford tonight. I hope you enjoyed this program as much as I gave it to you. Remember, we'll be back on the air with you guys next week for another edition of All Andy Alford. Can the Jackets bounce back from the horrible week that they had last week to prove that they are legitimate playoff contenders? Will the Walleye continue their winning ways on the road? And who will be tearing down the nets in the Mid-America Conference in the Big Ten? We'll see what happens with that. Until then, this is Andy Alford saying I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together. Game of life. Keep your stick on the ice. And to the teams behind, to teams that you root for at home, and to my teams, the Jackets. Come on, Jackets! Get back onto the winning page. Got to do it right. It's the Walleye. Go Walleye! Go Cyclones! Go Falcons! Go Spartans! And go Tigers. Rawr. Victory is sweetest when you have tasted defeat. Have a great rest of the week, everybody. I'll talk to you guys next week for another edition of All Andy Alford. And by the way, 30 days to opening day. Love you. Talk to you guys then. This has been a presentation of the All Andy Alford Network, powered by Anchor.